Investors Chronicle. Hello and welcome back to Lee and the IC. My name is Alex Newman, an Associate Editor at the Investors Chronicle, and I'm delighted to be here in the FD studios again with Lord Lee of Trafford. As a quick reminder, the format of these podcasts is slightly different to other episodes in this channel. So if you're investing or considering investing in shares, it's certainly for you, especially if those shares are UK listed. But befitting the topic of personal finance, the tone and content is a bit more personal than you might be used to from our regular interviews with fund managers and commentators. That's because everything we talk about is filtered through the thoughts, actions and feelings of one of the most seasoned personal investors in the country. As I've said before, this makes it the sort of extended conversation with Lord John Lee, drawing on his decades of practical and personal experience as an investor. At this point, I should throw in the disclaimer that Though we will be talking about individual stocks and John's portfolio in detail, this podcast is purely for educational purposes and nothing in it should be taken as financial advice or recommendations to buy or sell shares. This month, we're going to be talking about another of John's holdings, his approach to different assets, property, and the latest goings on in his portfolio. We'll also be responding to a few of the fantastic questions you've sent in for John, which as a reminder, you can do by emailing me at alex.newman at ft.com. Anyway, let's get to it. John, a very warm welcome to you on a quite cold Friday. How are you doing? Fine, fine. In good shape, thank you. But um, please, it's Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Being a tough Good's week. Off. Yes, a long week. Let's begin with the stock I wanted to talk with you about today. That's Lock-In Store. I expect lots of listeners will be familiar with the company or might vaguely recognise the brand or name. But for those who don't know or aren't familiar, could you please introduce the company and what it does? And also how you came to be involved as an investor. Well, Lock and Store is one of the self-storage or safe storage companies. The better known ones are probably Big Yellow and uh, Safe Store. But uh, Lock and Store is a significant player, probably number four or five in the overall table of, of, of size of those companies. And I first invested in 2013, 10 years ago. Actually, I noticed that uh, Town Centre Securities, a property company that I was then invested in and know well, had started to build up a stake in Lock and Store, and I followed them. The broad attraction to that sector was that we were, as compared with America, um, really very, very uh, thinly endowed with self-storage and, and safe storage uh, as an operation as compared with, with America. And, of course, we're still well behind. You know, there, there is a far greater usage of those facilities in the States. But I liked uh, Lock and Store. It looked a good, solid, growing company. And I particularly like the fact that the chief executive and founder, Andrew Jacobs, had a big stake in it, which is something that I've always regarded as important skin in the game. And uh, so I bought in 2013, my first holding at I think about 137. Looking back, as is my normal practice, if I like a company, I will build up a, uh, a more significant holding. And I think I've bought over the years on about 17 separate occasions, up to about £5.80, I think, on one occasion. But that would be the, the peak buy. And I think I may, did make one small sale at, at some stage. But essentially, it's a holding that I've had for, for 10 years, and it's now a, a significant holding. So a bit, you, you explained a bit of your rationale for investing. I mean, in some ways, it sounds fairly simple. People need places to store their small business wares or home contents in. Demand for that is 
strong in a in a in a country where perhaps space is at a little bit of a premium. Has has the investment case evolved a lot in that in that decade? I don't think there's been any great change in the in the fundamentals, but I, I think it would be fair to say that, that the the sector isn't quite as buoyant. Uh, as it has been. One of the interesting features to me was the discovery that a significant number of people use those safe storage operations to store their business assets if, if they were operating eBay-type type businesses. So it's, it's not just residential, as you pointed out, Alex. It, it, it's, uh, you know, com- they have commercial application uh, as well. So um, it, it's, it's certainly a, a holding that's performed well for me over the years, Although the shares have come back somewhat from the uh, from the absolute peak, yeah, we can we can come on to valuation and uh, and and how the shares have been trading in in a moment. I mean, slightly unusually for this sector, while operating as in the real estate game, it's not structured as a real estate investment trust, which means there, you know, it's a bit there's a bit more flexibility when it comes to holding back cash for dividends, and it changes their tax status a little bit because they're a trading company. Do you judge this to have been a smart call on behalf of management? I mean, some of the peers you mentioned are structured as REITs. I don't think uh, it, it needed to be a, a REIT, but I think, as you rightly say, it, it although it's on AIM, it is classed as a, and property is the base of it, mm. it is classed as a trading company. And although, you know, there's no official list or, or official recognition by the you know the revenues to what is an approved aim company for for you know for inheritance tax purposes, uh, it, I think it is judged and assumed that a lock and store does qualify. Uh, and in terms of dividends, of course, uh, you, one of the attractions is that they they are very much focused on on paying out dividends. And I think we've had twelve years of successive dividend growth around about ten percent per annum increase. So um, the dividend income from that uh, has been quite significant. My only regret is that initially it didn't go into my ISA. Mm. It made, it went into my non-ISA, uh, so I don't get the full tax coverage and benefit of that, but I do have some uh, shareholding in lock and store in my ISA. Okay, and therefore it's, uh, it's kind of tax rapid. So, I mean, the, the, the latest dividend increase was we had the full year results for the year to July about three weeks ago now. I mean, on the face of it, you know, as well as the, the dividend hike, there were lots of positives there. It was able to pass on price rises. It, it increased its recurring revenue and adjusted profits, cut its absolute debt, which is always a, a nice thing to see when uh, interest rates are so much higher and lowered its, its group-wide leverage. And, and, and you know, on top of that, it's 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 grown its adjusted net asset value to to close the ten pounds. The shares, however, are trading a bit more like seven pounds sixty, twenty three percent discount or so. Why do you think that the, the market has has been so pessimistic or is so pessimistic? Well, I think that it's been a difficult time for property companies or anything any company related to property activities, and and you know, all the property companies came down. But of course, uh, I think with the view now that interest rates have peaked. Uh, and probably we can look ahead to next year to to some modest reduction, all being well. There has been a bit of a pickup generally in 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 property shares. So um, uh, you know, I'm taking quite an optimistic view. Then I think there was a little bit of a, a negative, probably because Andrew Jacobs, who who has built it up and has still got a big stake in it, um, did sell some shares, which is all, always a you know a, a tad. Negative. Although I think those shares that he sold were snapped up uh, by some existing institutions and some new institutions as well, which is a 
which is a plus. But he, he did use your bugbear excuse of uh, uh, providing liquidity. To well, the uh, well, that's right. He gets so, a pass this time. Yeah, well, well, he, he he does because because of um, retaining a fair stake mm. uh, and because uh, having talked to him, uh, you know, I do take a positive view overall. But nevertheless. Uh, I never like to see you know any director selling any any significant mm. shareholdings. It has to be a you know a mild uh, a mild negative. But the other interesting thing that Lock and Store have been doing, apart from geographically pushing up the country, because originally it was very much southern orientated, mm. and now they're moving up. And they've got a number of uh, operations in the north. I think in Warrington and Bolton, and I think they're going on to the Wirral as well. So they're sort of gradually pushing up country and expanding. That um, although the majority of their of their stores are freehold, uh, hence the asset value, they're now operating an increasing number. I think sixteen or so, potentially sixteen, um, uh, managing them as it were for for other owners of the properties. Uh, and this means, of course, that it, it, it's relatively asset light right. as compared with having to invest a, a, you know, a great chunk of money in, in owning the freehold. And so overall, the portfolio is expanding quite, quite steadily. Mm. But the, the, as you rightly said a little bit earlier in your, in your opening summary, Alex, the, uh, the debt really is quite low yeah. uh, compared with a lot of property companies. So... Uh, it's travelling quite nicely, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to come back to that that point on on assets and uh, and, and 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 I suppose um, the, the weight of capital in a, in a business in a moment. Just to stay with um, Mr. Jacobs, if I may, for one more minute. I mean, this is, this isn't an enormous company in in some levels. It's it's uh, you know 250 million pounds or so um, market <coughs> capitalisation. Been on AIM as as we said since 2000, and Mr. Jacobs was the was the founder remains in the as the chairman you know huge longevity in his in his uh, in his service and, and and staying with the business i mean he's not said anything on his retirement plans i don't i you know don't want to sort of speculate here about you know without putting questions to him directly but we have talked a bit about management in the in you know the last couple of shows we had an interesting question from one listener who asked if your habit is to follow long serving ceos out of the business if you're unsure of the succession plan, maybe parking a lock and store to the side here, but just conscious of, you know, of, of the, the key person risk that perhaps exists in this business, what, what would your attitude be to, towards, uh, you know, the, the impending departure of someone you've known as part of the business for a long time? Well, I think, I think it, would, it would depend mm. uh, on what the business, uh, what sort of business it was in and whether the individual um, being promoted to CEO was someone who'd been a key a key executive for a number of years within that business or, you know, someone from outside with a, you know, with a reputation. I think it's very difficult to say how one would necessarily react. You know, one accepts, obviously, that that, um, chief executives do move on after a period and there is always change taking place with professional managers. But, of course, I think I've probably prospered over the years uh, by investing in companies uh, where there are either family-controlled businesses, uh, with families big, having a big stake, or an individual who's built up that business and is seeking to capitalise. Mm. So my guess, my guess would be, and I've always thought that at some stage, probably Lock and Store would be absorbed by a larger player, perhaps from the United States. We don't know because one or two of the U.S. companies have been pushing in, and it would a company of, of the Lock and Store size would make an ideal acquisition mm. for uh, a thrusting and expanding American group. 
Yeah. There's something to be said for having a company that maybe is sort of three, four, five, third, four, fifth in the overall capitalization in that sector, if you for follow sure. me. Yeah, absolutely. If a company were to you know, run the rule over the business, they would notice, obviously, as we mentioned, that they are trading quite a bit below book value or NAV. I mean, is that the for you the you know the, the the primary reference point for valuing a company like this, a property? I mean, it's doing property management now as well, but it's also a big property owner. Should we be looking at NAV as the the, the point at which a company it's, is it's, undervalued? Um, or... Well, it, it it's a big piece on the jigsaw, mm. put it yeah. that way, um, and certainly in the case of of property companies or, or property. Base companies like Lock and Store, it, it it is it is key, but it's not it's not the sole the sole piece of the jigsaw that you look at. Obviously, if anything, you know the debt ratio is probably that much more important. Mm-hmm. But overall, what I like about Lock and Store is that it's it's it it has expanded very significantly over the years, but in a conservative way. Uh, and Andrew Jacobs, I think, has handled the the financial side of it because he has does have a city background. The financial side of it very well in terms of broadly borrowing at the right time, um, selling one or two attractive assets and moving more into the management of stores. So really handling it in quite a clever, yeah. quite a clever way. So, you know, the, 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 there's considerable entrepreneurial talent there and uh, one recognises that. And, uh, you know, he's he's done very well uh, for himself with his shareholding uh, and shareholders have got in earlier earlier than me, have done extremely well. Yeah. I mean, that brings us on fairly neatly to something else I wanted to talk about, which was assets. I mean, in the case of Lock and Store, we, we obviously have, you know, this strong weighting to hard assets in, in, in its real estate um, portfolio. But also, as you mentioned, you know, it's it's part of the part of the value in Lock and Store now is not only its brand and the, the goodwill it's built up there, but as you say, the management services, which is not going to be valued at the same level on the balance sheet but which is obviously something that people are willing to pay for to to manage manage properties on their behalf that that broadly under the intangible umbrella of of assets is something that's a lot harder to value isn't it for investors what's your you know what's your 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 sort of general approach to i know it's a very open-ended question but do you like to see you know a a greater balance to hard assets or you are you you think long and hard about how intangibles might be the the key thing to invest yes, in. Yes, I, I, I think, well, basically I'm a cons- fairly conservative investor, right. um, not in the business of taking great risks. So therefore I, I try to cover the, the downside mm. uh, and therefore, uh, you know, I tend to steer well away from companies with excessive debts. I don't always get that right, but one tries to um, to do that. But it's just a factor that one does take into account. But it's yes, it's very nice to see hard assets there, as it were. But essentially, a business that has been built up conservatively, you know, the dividend over the years when one works, I've not worked it out mathematically, but for the 10 years I've been in, in it, invested in it, we've had something like a 10% increase each year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is now quite an attractive dividend yield, positive yield. There wasn't initially, but there is a hard asset base to actually... Uh, protect that investment uh, and give one peace of mind. Yeah. Another of your property holdings is the flexible office space firm Workspace. I mean, that that's another interesting example, isn't it? Because, you know, they're, they're on one level, they seem to be a straight up landlord, but they're operating in a, in a kind of hybrid services business there in that their leases are very flexible and they 
you know, they're catering to lots of different customer groups. What does the equation boil down to there? Why are you interested in, in, in this business? Well, I was, I was invested in it years ago when I think I'm right in saying it was called London Industrial. Okay. And it was put together by two or three people who worked, I think, I think for the GLC, and I think they, they uh, as it were, bought out the, um, the, the, the sort of mixed property holdings of the, uh, of the GLC. And that was the foundation of London Industrial. And, of course, over the years it has grown, name changed to, to workspace, and now they have something like 70 different sites in and around the southeast predominantly and, and recently made a takeover bid for Mackay uh, and um, uh, that went through and I think they've sold some of the Mackay properties off but essentially they've got I think around 70 different sites mixed sites of light industrial and uh, an office as well very flexible very entrepreneurial and the team is is very experienced and here again and this attracted me uh, more recently probably a year or so ago, the um, uh, the shares are, were standing and are standing still at a very significant discount to assets. That obviously uh, appeals. Uh, and also there is uh, one an investment group who I think have 28 or 29% of it just before um, takeover is actually triggered, which one would regard as a very strategic stake. So at some stage some stage and it could happen next week or it could happen in five years time uh, i'm sure in in some way that asset value will will uh, will be reflected in the in the price and there will be corporate activity right uh, but in the meantime the, there's a i think a very nice sort of near five percent dividend yield and uh, fairly optimistic uh, trading announcements so you know i'm pretty happy with it uh, tuck it away value will come through in the end i'm sure yeah Property has been the most, I would argue, probably the most popular route in the UK towards wealth creation in, in the, over the last few decades. You know, many individual landlords probably have found that, you know, that actually the, the work involved is a little bit closer to, you know, what workspace management is having to do now, that you actually, you, you have to be a lot more hands-on with tenants than you sometimes expect. And the yield on, on or the net initial yield sort of sometimes gets a bit diluted when you have to factor in all the things you must do to, to manage property. You're obviously a big champion of um, ISAs and stocks. I mean, obviously, you, you invest a little bit in property through these companies. What's been your attitude to to property investing, either, you know, the buy-to-let angle or more broadly in terms of physical... Well, I've never really gone in for buy-to-let myself. I mean, I've, I've always uh, fortunately been able to buy my own home. I think the first house I bought myself was in about 1968, I think for about £8,000. Okay. The more recent one, eight years ago in Richmond, where we now live, Richmond, Surrey, was somewhat more than that £8,000, right. I have to say. So over the years, my generation obviously have been very fortunate to be um, home-owning and, and property-owning. And, of course, many of those property companies over the years also prospered. But I remember when I first started investing, there were any number of small quoted property companies, quoted residential companies and quoted commercial companies as well, often built up by a family or, or an individual, and almost almost all those have uh, have disappeared, right. uh, with the possible exception of something like Town Centre, mm. uh, controlled by the Ziff family from Leeds, which you know has, has done very well over the years, and I've been a, a shelled in and out of that. But the, the, the rental market, uh, obviously, has been much more tricky 
with the changes that George Osborne unfortunately brought in, I think I'm right in saying disallowing uh, interest on borrowings mm. and um, combination of, of that and you know some of the environmental uh, restrictions now have, have caused many landlords to pull out of the market. Uh, that sector has been declining and so uh, rents have been pushing up and of course it's once conscious that it's very difficult for young people now to um, you know to find a property to rent mm. anything that looks at all attractive. You know, you've got a queue of 15 or 20 people there, as it were. As I say, we've seen rent going up. You've also seen, by the way, one or two larger commercial companies getting involved in the rental sector. Granger probably is the mm-hmm. best example of that. I mean, Granger used to uh, be almost entirely focused on uh, owning smaller residential properties, and now they've moved in a fairly significant way into the construction of new developments. Uh, down south for rent. Mm. Uh, and I think one or two of the insurance companies have, have done that as well. But uh, I've never really been a property investor. I, I've enjoyed investing in the stock market much more, as it were, and found that much more interesting. So that's where my pennies have gone. Sure. <laughs> I suppose one thing that, that, that is hard for some people to get past is the psychological attachment to bricks and mortar. I can see this asset. A house is obviously a good example of that. Some people end up with property because that is the you know, via inheritance or, or otherwise, that that is, that is the main store of wealth that a lot of people have in their, in their lives and they become accidental landlords. What would you say to, I suppose, people for whom it is a bit of a psychological obstacle to think, well, I, I wouldn't want to put my money in, in stocks and shares. It's, it's you know, you see, you see prices going up and down every day. I like the tangible feel of a property that, you know, might be able to be rented out or has a, a use value. What's the... Uh, What's the break you've been able to make with that? Um, yeah, I can, I can, I can entirely, I can entirely accept that you know some people like to own and see the, the property, but of course um, the, the 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 debit is you don't have anything like the flexibility right. uh, with property that you do with with stocks and shares, particularly if you invest in some of the large cap stocks, you know, like the the shells or the insurance companies, or in my case, you know, the M and G, for example, where. Uh, if for whatever reason, you know, I wanted to to get money out, either for personal needs or to reinvest somewhere, I guess one spot's a better opportunity. You know, I can I can sell that that holding immediately. Mm. Uh, you can't do it so easily with a, with some of the small cap caps holdings. That's why, in my ISA portfolio now, I try to have a balance between you know, some of the larger cap stocks with big dividend yields and some of the smaller cap stocks that I've got long-term faith in for, uh, for capital growth and maybe, maybe more, more yeah. modest dividends. So uh, I, I like the flexibility uh, of stocks and shares and also, uh, as I think I made, uh, made clear or indicated in the past, being on the receiving end of you know, something like 60 takeovers and take privates which have have created liquidity and and delivered a premium on then prevailing on then prevailing prices uh, which is not of course something you get with uh, property yeah for me uh, I think it comes down to a combination of interest uh, and also financial flexibility and that's why I come down on on uh, the side of the stock of stocks yeah. and shares so, so flexibility in your asset choice when it comes to property flexibility in the model you know workspace and uh and uh, and lock and store both you know f- f- uh, use you know flexible space right. um, uh, creators. Would you would you buy traditional office companies right now? I mean, there's some there's some pretty cheap yeah, offers well, the, on the there. Answer is, the, the answer is um, 
yes, would I? But would they are there? Would I be buying them? I, I don't think I would. Right. Uh, you know, I, I still think there there is the COVID legacy of people yeah. working at home from home. Um, although some companies are beginning to insist on people coming back to the office so many days a week, I think working from home is you know with modern technology, modern age is is clearly going to to be with us for a long long time. So uh, you know I'm not sure that I would want to be investing in offices, uh, and also of course people who are looking for firms who are looking for office accommodation do want uh, uh, all, all the time. You know, a better quality office, a higher to meet to higher environmental standards, mm. uh, and therefore, you know, you can't just sit on an office block for fifty years, as it were. You mm. you have to spend money on reconditioning and improving, as it were, and modernising. So, uh, you know, it can be it can be quite expensive ownership structure. So, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've we've had some very smart questions from um, listeners in recent weeks. One of them I wanted to raise just before we uh, conclude was from Helen. She actually sent a number of very good questions in, but one of them jumped out to me. By way of background, Helen and her husband are both investors, and she's keen to avoid duplication across their portfolios. I, I assume discussing similar themes and um, potential investments. She wanted to know how or if you go about rebalancing your portfolio, John, in terms of, I suppose, size, number and, and, and type of holdings. Do you have a, a particular thought process here or is it does it sort of evolve? I don't on, think it's a that? thought process. I think it's more a question yeah. of a feel right. in a way. One comes back to one's basics, really. I, I'm very much a long-term investor. Uh, if I like a company, particularly with some of the smaller camps that I f- focus on, uh, like Lock and Store, you know, I will buy on many occasions and build up that holding. So I think I said that I bought about 17 times with Lock and Store. I think with Treat, which is my second largest holding, I think. I've, but as between occasions over the uh, over the years, getting the balance right between small caps and some of the larger cap stocks, over the last two or three years, I have put a fair amount into some of those big cap stocks, high-yielding, very solid businesses like... Uh, uh, M&G and Aviva and Legal and General and uh, a Phoenix, you know, where where you're getting a dividend yield of somewhere between 8 and 10%, uh, hugely attractive within an, an ISA, tax-free, yeah. very attractive uh, a wrapper. And so overall, you, one, is, one can generate the income through those stocks and um, thus one can, one can afford to hold some of the smaller caps that are Possibly not distributing the you know the rate of dividend that you would you would ideally like. What it also means if you don't need to take the dividend actually out in cash terms, and you you, you want to reinvest it, you can reinvest some of the substantial dividends in some of the smaller caps. So very recently, for example, I received a very nice interim dividend from M and G. Was going to ask, yeah, uh, <laughs> the, big, and, the big events and, since we lost. And uh, you know, I, I was able uh, to decide to keep that money within the ISA portfolio, mm. not take it out. And I think I topped up four of my smaller ISA holdings. From memory, I think Vionet, VP is a more recent holding, Plant Hire, Yorkshire Plant Hire Company, uh, Secure Trust. Oh, yeah. The small banking business, huge discount to assets there and a big yield. And Concurrent Technologies, which has been one of my favorite stocks, which is now, I think, moving to takeoff. Right. I see um, you know, a significant jump in bottom line profits coming there. 
uh, on the strength of you know big growth in in uh, their exports to America on the defence front. Yeah, certainly names we can uh, in, you know, unpack in uh, in greater depth in in future episodes. And um, I did notice that none of those stocks were investment trusts. And I suppose having just put out our investment trust special, it would be uh, remiss of me not to ask about your thoughts on investment trusts. I mean, the the yields might not be at eight to ten percent on most investment trusts but some of the discounts are you know i think the average is something like 17 percent now do you do you use investment trusts at all john or do you, you no, see I, them as a I, no i don't uh i remember years ago my father used to when he was investing you know 40 50 years ago he used to be a you know, an investment trust man and uh, he actually did put a thousand pounds for each of my daughters, I think nearly 40 years ago, into investment, save and prosper investment trust units. Mm. And I think that thousand pounds has grown over the years with the dividends reinvested, you know, to, to you know, upper 30,000s now. Right. Significant growth. So uh, for someone who, who, you know, is a long term investor and doesn't want to take their own decisions mm. by and large generalization much better to invest in investment trusts where there is some gearing benefit as well rather than you know a more flat uh, unit trust fund or, or open-ended fund uh, and over the years some of those um, investment trusts have performed very well indeed at the moment yes quite nice discounts but the discounts aren't quite as great as one or two of the property companies that we mentioned earlier exactly what the final weeks of uh, 2023 looking like for you? Have you got as much in your portfolio and, and beyond that you're looking forward to? Well, I think that I think that what is pleasing uh, to me is, is that the the market. I, I feel the market is um, looking to go f- to go forward, to go upwards. Right. Obviously, the disastrous situation in the Middle East, the war in Ukraine. So a lot of negatives. On the other hand, positives are. I think we've probably peaked with interest rates. Inflation is coming down a little faster than people imagine. And uh, I think there's a little little bit more of a positive economic feeling um, around the place. And the stock market, I think, is extremely cheap. Mm. And you only need to look at some of the takeover bids that have come through in the last you know, couple of weeks, as it were, the premiums on prevailing prices. Even if you regard the, the more recent takeover of Hotel Chocolat by Mars as a where the premium on the, the then prevailing price was about 170% as um, a somewhat special. Um, nevertheless, I, I look at my own portfolio and, and uh, certainly as far as the smaller cap stocks are concerned, you know, I think the vast majority are worth, you know, pro- double the the current market price. Right. So, um, you know, to me, it, it's, it's, you know, buy now, fill your boots. Yeah. Well, Let's see how those boots are looking next time when we speak. Lots to unpack then, which of course can include any questions um, you'd like to put to John, um, which uh, again, that email you can, you can do by getting in touch at alex.newman at ft.com. Until then, all that's left for me to say is uh, to thank you for listening. Thank you, John, for your thoughts. My pleasure. And uh, to thank our producer, Maddie Apthorpe, for all her work behind the soundboard. Until next time. Mm-hmm.